You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. It is now almost a year since the US subprime crisis went global. Many hoped that the repricing of risk will be no more than a brief interruption in the progress of the US and world economies. Such hopes have been disappointed. The woes of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the tumbling stock markets and the climbing oil prices make clear how far the turmoil is from its end. It has, in all likelihood, not even passed the end of its beginning. So where is the world economy now and where might it go? Here are some preliminary answers to these questions. The answer to the first comes in two main parts continued financial distress, and commodity price rises. The performance of banking stocks tells one most of what one needs to know about the financial crisis. In the U.S., the epicenter of the distress, banks had lost half of their market value between a year ago and the end of last week relative to the S&P Composite Index. Equity investors are not the only people worried about the health of banks. The banks themselves are also worried. Spreads between rates of interest on interbank lending in dollars, euros and sterling and expected official rates over three and six months are now wider than they were in March. On six-month loans, spreads are now as high as at two previous peaks in September and December of last year. This is no mere liquidity crisis. The banks are expressing concern about the solvency of their peers. One good reason for them to worry is that the quality of the underlying collateral for much of the lending of previous years, housing, continues to deteriorate. The Case-Shiller 20-City Index declined by 18% in nominal terms and 22% in real terms between its peak in mid-2006 and April of this year. This rate of decline is also accelerating. It is little wonder, then, that the stock market has been showing something close to panic over prospects for the two government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which have been financing about three-quarters of all U.S. mortgages. A formal government takeover of these entities, whose total liabilities are close to 40% of U.S. gross domestic product, is not out of the question. In terms of gross government indebtedness, this would make the U.S. look like Italy. Meanwhile, the price of oil is close to $150 a barrel. While an important part of the world economy is worrying about the risks of financial collapse and ensuing deflation, the price of the world's most important commodity has doubled over the past year. In real terms, the price of oil is now 25% higher than in 1979 at the peak of the second oil shock. The soaring prices of oil and other commodities are something of a puzzle, since global economic growth is slowing. Consensus forecasts for June have world growth at 2.9% this year at market exchange rates, down from 3.8% in 2007, largely because of the slowdown in the high-income countries, with U.S. growth forecast at only 1.5% this year, down from 2.2% in 2007, and growth in Western Europe, at 1.8%, down from 2.8% in 2007. So why are commodity prices soaring when the world economy is slowing? The popular explanation seems to be speculation. But since speculation is always with us, 
This cannot explain why prices are soaring now. Another popular explanation is the aggressive easing of US monetary policy. But this hardly explains the fact that the price of oil is rising rapidly even in euros, nor does speculation explain the rise in the prices of commodities that do not have active futures markets, iron ore, for example. In the case of oil, as Daniel Gross of the Centre for European Policy Studies pointed out in the Financial Times on July the 10th, speculation is inherent in deciding whether to produce. The producers are speculators on the future value of their resource, and rightly so, since it is finite. Producers will leave oil in the ground if the rise in real oil prices is expected to be faster than the return on the alternative assets. What determines the current price, then, is the expected future price. The most important drivers have been the prospective growth in the demand of emerging countries, particularly China, and the gloom about alternative sources of supply. China's rapid and highly resource-intensive growth is the most important factor. Growth there is still expected to be 10% this year and more than 9% in 2009. So what happens to the world economy next? Here perhaps the most important point is the uncertainty. It is possible to tell stories of a return to rapid growth in the world economy. It is just as easy to tell stories of something close to a financial meltdown. Yet the balance of economic forces is contractionary. Financial crises and property price collapses in the US and a number of other high-income countries, soaring commodity prices and inflationary pressures, particularly in emerging countries. It is hard to see any outcome other than a sustained slowdown in the world economy. It is even quite likely that the trend growth of the world economy is considerably slower than was hoped a few years ago. Furthermore, some of the risks could combine in dangerous ways. An attack on Iran might push the price of oil above $200, for example. More, even the creditworthiness of the U.S. government cannot be taken for granted. If the ongoing deleveraging of the U.S. economy weakened U.S. consumption, the, the economy might go into a deep recession. U.S. fiscal deficits would then soar, and long-term U.S. interest rates might jump. This could make the debt dynamics of the U.S. government itself look very unpleasant. A flight from the dollar and dollar bonds might even ensue. Who would then want to be running the Federal Reserve? The good news is that the world economy has held up surprisingly well. The bad news is that the risks remain squarely on the downside. It will take some luck and much judgment to pass through the storms unscathed. It is time to take a break from the gloom. That is what I will now do. I will be back at the end of August. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.